Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. I'm so excited today to have Julia Chaco, who I have followed her writing and her social media presence for a little while, and I'm excited to talk in real time. Welcome. And can you let us know a little bit about um, yourself, like where you live and what is your relationship to arthritis? Absolutely. Um, so hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Julia Chaco. Um, I also go professionally by JG Chaco. And I live in Vancouver in beautiful British Columbia. Um, you can see the background behind me is part of our lovely province here. And uh, I have rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, and I would love to know, you know, start off by just discussing your diagnosis story slash diagnosis saga. It sometimes becomes, you know, what, what were your first symptoms and how did you get diagnosed? Okay, uh, so just as a little background, um, I come from a very active background. I'm a dancer and an actress. Um, so when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed probably about 13 years ago, and I was in my late mid to late 30s when I was diagnosed. And uh, I just woke up one morning, it was in November, you know, it was the fall, it was dark and wet and cold. And I just woke up one morning feeling really like I had a fever and my and my joints were swollen and really sore and I felt really tired and I thought, oh, okay, so, you know, I've got a cold, I've got a virus, what have you. And then by the mid after, by mid afternoon, I was feeling better. And then by the evening, I was even better still. So I thought, okay. So what occurred to me then is, oh, okay, so I, I did too much in dance class or I pushed myself too hard. So, okay, didn't think about it. Next morning, I woke up exactly the same way. Again, by mid-afternoon, I started to feel better. Again, by the evening, I was 100% better. And I'm like, odd. 
This continued for about six weeks before I decided to go to my GP, <laughs> excuse me. And I said, okay, so this is what's happening. And so he examined me and I happened to be there in the morning when my hands were a bit swollen. And he says, oh, because I'm gonna send you off to a rheumatologist. Um, so I got into a rheumatologist very quickly and uh, he examined me and thought, yeah, it looks like it's early rheumatoid arthritis. Wow. So that's how it happened. Um, now it was, you know, I, I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but prior to that morning, uh, prior to when I started waking up that way, back in the spring, I had uh, epicondylitis of my right elbow or tennis elbow. Mm -hmm. I had that for about a month, went away, mm -hmm. and then it, it showed up in my left elbow about two months later, oh. and then it went away. So whether that was a precursor to what was coming, I have no idea. I didn't think about it at the time. They, you know, the doctor said, oh, it's tennis elbow. Put a brace on it. Oh, okay. So I did. <laughs> yeah. Anytime, yeah. typically whenever they see pain that's quote unquote traveling from one joint to another, it's mm -hmm. kind of, it's an indication often of something more systemic, but it could be like you said, because it disappeared on one side and then appeared on the other and you're so active, it could be um, from, from overuse. So that's, yeah, that's always a overuse. Thing. Yeah. 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 But I mean, it sounds like once you started having that week after week after week of symptoms, like the morning stiffness, the morning fever ish feeling that is also a data point that's often signifying this is something bigger, you know, and especially with it getting better in each evening. So I'm glad you got, you know, referred to a rheumatologist and got your, your diagnosis early. Yeah, I was, I was very lucky. I had a very good GP and he just right, right from the get go. I mean, I wasn't even in there very long. He just looked at my joints and went, okay, we're going to send you off to a rheumatologist. I was like, okay. <laughs> That's, oh my gosh. I just interviewed someone um, earlier this week and it's just fresh in my mind where they had to beg and beg and beg over and over again to get treat taken seriously. And so I'm just, it's great to hear the positive stories of like, this is how it's supposed to be, you know, but yeah, even so yeah. how, what was yeah. your, it, it is a strange thing to be a, you know, a quote unquote, a younger person, you know, in your thirties, um, getting diagnosed with something with arthritis in the name. Like when I was 20, I got diagnosed. That was really confusing to me. Like, what was your response you know, emotionally to the diagnosis? I think I was just surprised, quite frankly. Like, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I, it didn't run in my family to my knowledge. Now, it's entirely possible my grandmother could have had it undiagnosed. I have no idea. But um, I guess I was surprised because, you know, you're young, you're fit, you're healthy. I mean, I was a really active person. So I was just kind of going, now, how, how is that possible? You know, and then sort of wrapping your head around the fact that it was nothing that I did or didn't do. And it was just, it's a, you know, it is like you said, a systemic disease. It's your immune system just sort of turning on you. And yeah, so I think really I was just a bit thrown off. Like, like really, like even when he was saying it to me, I was sitting there going arthritis, really? <laughs> yeah. Same, same. And I, I love what you said about you were, you know, you, you were came to the, to the realization that it was nothing that you did, 
how did you come to that? Like you didn't cause this in some way by whatever. But I think a lot of people have this sense of guilt. Like maybe if I had eaten better, if I had exercised more, which in your case, you were active, but if I had managed my stress better, quote unquote, um, I wouldn't have gotten it. So how did you learn to get rid of that? Or how did you learn that it wasn't your fault that you got this? Well, I actually did work um, in medical for a little while. So I was a part-time worker in a medical office. Wow. So the understanding of an autoimmune condition was not new to me. Mm. What was new to me is that I had it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that was new, but it was, yeah, it, I already sort of understood that it was nothing that, at, you know, this is a type of disease that you can't control. You don't know when it's going to come. You don't know, you know, there's, there's nothing you could do to prevent it if you're going to get it. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but that's huge. So many people struggle with that. So I think that's like, you're already, um, in a, I would almost say, I don't want to say it, a more healthy mental state when you alleviate that burden of guilt from yourself. Um, so yeah. I think 100%. Yeah. 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 And I think it is helpful that because I had a background in working in medical that it was easier for me to understand and, you know, kind of make the plan of what to do next and wow. sort of cope with it more than somebody who doesn't have that background or understanding. And then it's, you know, it's a big shock to them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, um, you know, I always like to go in a little bit, however much you want to share about your treatment plan or your treatment journey, because oftentimes it's, sometimes I meet people where it's linear. Like I've been on the same medicine for 10 years. I'm like, well, that's awesome. You know, and, it's, and it works. Whereas uh, other people, yeah. it's more up and down. You got to change this, titrate this, you know. So what what is your treatment journey been like? When I say treatment, I mean like medical treatments. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they did start me on a, a baseline, a first line medication. And I was on that for a little while. And they also, you know, and then I would go in, you know, every three to six months to see how I was doing. They eventually added a second one. Um, as the disease progressed and they eventually added a third one. Um, so now we could say that I was on triple therapy, right? Um, and then in the last, I would say in the last four or five years, I dropped one of the medications. I got off it because I found that the side effects were just too, too much to deal with. Like the side effects were worse than the disease itself. Um, so now I'm back to two medications and it's those two that I'm still on that have worked in sort of controlling, you know, the biggest part, like the inflammation. Um, now I do get flare ups like everybody does. Even when you're on medication, you still get flare ups occasionally. Um, it's not the, it's not the miracle cure. So there are other, there are other ways to sort of take control and, you know, I guess enhance your own treatment by going to an occupational therapist and learning, you know, how to, you know, adjust to things in, in the kitchen, in, at work, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, physiotherapy 100% teaches you, you know, how to do exercises that will take the pressure off your joints, but keep you moving and, and keep your muscles strong. Now, physically as a dancer, 
um, I had all that background, that base, that muscle base. And for me, it was really about learning to move now without hurting my joints or without, you know, causing injury to my joints. Um, so there was some adaptation there and trying to figure out, you know, how far could I go and what could I still do dance wise. So obviously I was a ballet dancer for a long time that went right out the window <laughs> because ballet in itself without a disease is probably the worst thing for your body. <laughs> you know, they, pictures of ballet dancers yeah. feet and I'm like, Whoa, that's brutal. Yeah. 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 And I do, I do have, um, uh, my feet are not the healthiest feet, mm -hmm. but, but it's not generally, it's not really the disease that did that. It was the years of, of dance and in being in the shoes and, and on point and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, so ballet is that dance that looks so beautiful and natural, but it is so not because your body is not meant to turn that way. <laughs> you know, you have the turnout of your hips and, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough one on the body. Body, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. you know, when I, when I facilitate the, the room to thrive support groups, a lot of times we talked about like, our, we talk about our valued activities and our hobbies and what brings our life joy and meaning and having to give up something that's a big part of your life can be so challenging emotionally. I'm, I'm wondering, um, you know, was it hard to give up ballet or what did you do instead of ballet or did like yeah, I would love to hear more about that journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was it was hard to give up ballet because uh, it is it was the first dance I learned and I loved it. But the thing with it is that there are other dances that you can still do that aren't quite as hard on the body. Um, so, you know, I had taken I've taken a lot of dance over the years. So ballet, tap, uh, modern swing, um, you know, ballroom, etc. Right. So I think what I did is I moved from ballet into like the Latin dances into salsa and bachata and, and those dances. And they were better. They were easier to do physically. Um, but then with even with those, I started to it got a little difficult because if you don't have a partner that is experienced in those dances, then they grab your hand the wrong way, they hold it too hard, they yeah. grab your elbow the wrong way, right? So it, it it's it's mm -hmm. sort of a it was it was difficult to sort of go to those dances and then you know come away feeling like okay, well you know now my my elbow is sore because so and so grabbed it the wrong way when he did you know led me into a crossbody lead or a spin or something, right? Um, so even that yeah. got a little little sticky. So what I did instead is my husband and I um, signed up for a beginner ballroom. Now, I'm not a beginner at all, but he was. And but because I trusted him that he knew, you know, my body and, you know, what hurt and he, he knew exactly the amount of pressure to put on my hands or my shoulder or my elbow so that I wouldn't get hurt. So there was that there was still that way of moving forward in dance. And the other thing I did is I started choreographing. 
So um, I'm an actress as well as a dancer. Um, so I've been on stage since I was maybe 12 acting. So I've danced since I was five. I've been on stage since I was 12 acting. Um, and so what I did wow. is I went back to the theater as a choreographer. So my first big project was in 2017 when I got to choreograph a children's panto. And it was based on The Wizard of Oz, which was a lot of fun. And so I got to choreograph about six or seven songs for a group of 14. Um, and uh, so that was, it was just a wonderful experience. And it was really a way to stay in my dance world, um, to, to do the teaching instead of actually doing the dancing. I love that. Yeah. I, I really love that. I, I had this same experience with swing dancing that when my disease was in remission, I was able to dance just like anyone who didn't, didn't have rheumatoid arthritis, although I probably should have thought a little more about protecting my joints, um, you know, because it is a lot of swing and Lindy Hop, the kind does a lot of traction, the pulling um, on the joints. Yeah. But, but long story short, once my disease got less well controlled, it's hard. My favorite part about swing was social dancing, you know, dancing with different partners, making friends. And it was hard to have to be like, wait, I want, I still want to experience the social, the musical, the athletic release, but it's too hard. It's too dangerous to dance with a bunch of different people. I don't know. So I started teaching too. And I, so I think it's, a, it's just a beautiful example of, um, you know, how you may have to interact differently with your favorite activities but you can find new mm -hmm. ways to do them. Or for some people, it can be yeah. discovering a different activity. Like sometimes your other activity, like rock climbing is one. I've been, uh, had some people in the groups have rock climbing. And that's a pretty challenging one to find. A, that is. Yeah, there's bouldering, which is where you're not actually climbing up. You're not using the harness and everything. So there's kind of substitute things, but, but um. But, you know, it's, there's a grief. Sometimes there's a grief when you, like, I'm curious if you ever had that feeling of grief where I'm in this body. I used to be able to kind of have, my brain tells my body to do something and it just happens. And now there's this resistance because of the arthritis or, you know, um, was that hard, like embodying your body? <laughs> Is that a word? Is it, was it hard? Embodying your yeah. body. <laughs> hard to embody right no it was hard to live in a body that suddenly was not uh, moving with the same ease as before yeah I mean it was but I didn't I didn't actually find any grief in it personally oh, um I just I got frustrated sure because you know I'm not the most patient person on the planet sometimes um <laughs> um so I'd get frustrated but really it's if you if you have the if you take the time there's always little adjustments and modifications you can make and it really is about learning what they are and just you know when when you have that impulse to do something to, your brain says to your body to do this yeah. that you just you need to take that moment to go wait a minute <laughs> now can i actually do that without yeah. you know hurting myself or bringing any pain is there is there an easier way to do this that isn't going to you know hurt me or give me a setback of some sorts right yeah you seem to be a very yeah. adept problem solver like I feel like you are I think you have to be yeah yeah 
Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think he, I think you have to be with chronic illness. I just, I just don't think it gives you any other choice. You, yeah. you either become an adept problem solver or you sit and wallow in the corner. Right. Yeah. And nobody wants to do that. No. So you, you need to, you know, and it, and it, it, and it can take time. It's not something that happens quickly. It's something, it's a learning curve. It's something you have to learn over time. Mm -hmm. So you have to develop a lot of patience. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I will say, I think it's okay to allow yourself permission to wallow for, for moments, you know, just, we don't want to get stuck in the wallowing, mm -hmm. but sometimes I do allow at least myself to have a little pity party, be like, yeah, this is frustrating. You know, I wish my life was easier in, in respect to health, you know, but this, you know, then at some point yeah. it's not helpful to stay there forever um you know but and i just yeah i just think it's i i i think that the people that are able to have the best quality of life are the ones that are able to do what you kind of what you were embodying through or yeah. through your attitude about your condition and i think i think we are all capable of doing it but i think it takes people just different it takes people some people longer to get there um, and it's just really about learning because the, we, we all share, like we may share the same disease, but we don't experience it the same way. And, and that's huge, you know, because our, it's so individual to you, right? Like, you know, yes. I, I, I don't, we don't all, we don't all share the same symptoms at the same times or in the same moments. Um, so it's, it's, it's very much, you know, really looking at yourself and understanding yourself and understanding when it's time to take a moment to step back or, you know, push yourself forward, right? Mm -hmm. And I wonder if your background as a dancer helped you be in touch with your body. Like I felt that from being a soccer player, like I could tell the difference between muscle pain from maybe overactivity versus joint pain from my inflammation like it was not yeah. too difficult for me to suss that out initially um but i know people who don't have any sort of relationship to exercise or athleticism or dance it can be hard to get right. yeah yeah it's, it's 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 difficult but yeah i think you know i know my body pretty well yeah and as a dancer, I mean, I have, I don't know how many times I have fallen or, yeah. you know, somebody has, or somebody has dropped you like that happens right? when you're in partner, when you're, when you're, you know, yep. we're used to dancers are used to getting hurt. They're used to sprains. They're used to bruises. They're used to, you know, just muscle strains and pulled tendons and all of those things. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and, I guess I, I know what that feels like in the body. So I can distinguish that from, okay, so this is a muscle strain from my doing this bending too far in yoga yeah. <laughs> versus, you know, versus when my arthritis flares up and I'm having inflammation in the hands and, mm -hmm. you know, it's all swollen and sore. And it's like, yeah, it's a different feeling. And, and you start to you start to recognize that. But again, with some people that can also take time. Yes. To to understand that the different pain that you feel and what causes it, right? And you know, that can be frustrating, but I think 
I think it's important just to allow yourself that time to be patient with yourself, be kind to yourself, don't beat yourself up about it, right? Just take a moment, acknowledge it. And, you know, I I love that. I love that. The patience is so key. Yeah. And I was so impatient initially, you know, I was like, just figure (laughs) this out. I got to figure this out. And then I'll get to this point where I conquered arthritis and then I can move on with my life, not realizing that maybe I need to live with this, you know? Right. (laughs) But I, I definitely want to delve more into, you know, your, to me, fascinating life of a creative life with rheumatoid arthritis. You know, you've already pre-diagnosis, you have a history of being an actress and you, you know, have, um, done poetry and writing and dancing. And so, um, you know, I'm like, where do I even get started? But, um, you know what you said, you started acting when you were much younger and what has it been like to do these creative pursuits, you know, with arthritis or anything you want to share about it? Yeah. So uh, with the acting, with the stage acting, so pre-diagnosis, I was doing three to four shows a year. And it is a lot of time and energy to do these shows because it is three months of rehearsals and then four weeks of performance. Mm -hmm. Right. So you need to be alert. You need to be energetic. You need to be well. You need to be able to push through. Um, So after diagnosis, Um, I probably took a break from the stage for about two, three years, just so that I could get my disease under control, right? So take the time to find out what medications are working, how do we control it, um, you know, doing the physio, all of that stuff. And then I got, so now when I go back on stage now, I probably do one to two shows a year versus three to four. So it's still there. It's still in my life. It's just not as, you know, extensive as it was. Um, and that's and that's fine. Um, but it's it's still there in some way. Like I just finished in just uh, in September, August, September. So in September, I just finished. Uh, I started choreographing a musical called The Marvelous Wonderettes. And that was three months of rehearsals of choreographing 33 songs for four women. Wow. And, you know, it's songs from the 50s and 60s. So it's the 50s and 60s dance style. But I think, you know, that was probably one of the most challenging things I'd had to do in a very long time. And I really had to plan that out. So first I had to sit down when I was offered that opportunity. I had to sit down and go, okay do I have the stamina to do this? Yeah. Like, can I do this? It's three months of rehearsals. Um, now, once the show goes up, I'm out of it. It's, it's all them. Yeah. <laughs> it's all the girls performing. But it's still 33 songs that I have to choreograph wow. for these girls. Um, and so I really just, I sat down and went, okay. Um, so I, I wanted to do it, so I did it. And what I had to do each day was basically sit down and plan my day and go, okay, I'm going to, what are my priorities and what do I need to get done first? Yeah. And then after a rehearsal night, which is probably rehearsals are about three hours a night. So after a rehearsal night, that, that second day where I don't have a rehearsal and I have time off, mm-hmm. I have to prioritize break, a break. A rest. Yes. Yeah. 
And, you know, and then the next day I get back to creating the dance again and go off to rehearsal. But it really is about sitting there and going, okay, let's look at my day, see what I can do in the morning that's not going to exhaust me or take away the energy that I need when I go into the theater and, and start teaching these girls right it's so it's planning it's really organization and planning and I like to be I'm one of those people that think I can just do it all oh yeah (laughs) so I'll sit down on my day I'll sit down on my day planner and write 10 things and go I'm going to do all of this and you know (laughs) I usually end up doing two right so this is like yeah so now I you know when I was planning this when I was planning the rehearsals I sat there and go okay what can I realistically do today this yeah. morning, say in the one aspect, say my work and my work writing life, how much can I actually do this morning? Take that break after I do it and then move on to the other aspect of my life. But it really is planning. It really is sitting there and allowing yourself that break and not yeah. feeling that you're a failure because you have to take that break, yes. right? It's, it's giving yourself the grace to go, this is fine. I, I, I need this rest. It's it's good for me. It's good for my body. It's good for, you know, my my mental state. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's okay to do this. You're not lazy. You're not unproductive. No. This is no. part of your rest is part of being productive, right? Yeah. And so. it's also honoring, you know, what your you wouldn't feel guilty for eating food. Like your body needs food to survive, right? Absolutely. You need rest and sleep survive. And that's what I, that's kind of how, what I remind myself and different bodies need different amounts of rest. You know, I think it was mm-hmm. like Bill Clinton famously only needed like four hours of sleep or rest, like some or four hours of sleep a night. Like some people are lucky that they can get by with less, but like, even before my diagnosis, I was a big sleep prioritizer. Like I, I played college soccer division three, and, but we would, um, you know, the team would want to like hang out for, you know, late before the game, I'd be like, no, I got to get my sleep. I got to get my sleep. This is before my diagnosis even, you know, or even in high school, I got to go home and sleep, you know? So that's, uh, I've always been like a morning person and like kind of get tired at night. So, but it's, it's definitely more, I think your point is so well taken that, you know, having an autoimmune condition really necessitates, um, like sleep is not, it's not a luxury. It's a, it's a need and not just sleep. It's a necessary rest. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I do a lot of also giving my, uh, looking at my schedule, like look at my schedule, look at what I want to do and then like take things away from it because I know that I can't do everything I want to do or, you know, say, okay, can I push this to next week and make sure I build in like a rest break in my day every day. It's, it makes a huge, huge difference. Um, yeah, I love the choreographing third. I mean, just as somebody who's yeah, choreographed a little bit of of Lindy Hop and Swing routines before. Thirty three songs is that is a yeah. lot of work. It was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot of songs. Um, yeah. But the show did amazing. But the show did very well. So I was really proud um, because they had almost sold out performances every night, and they got standing ovations. So yeah. you know, and it helps that we we cast the right cast, the right, mm-hmm. the perfect four girls that just came together so well and worked so hard and put on a beautiful, beautiful show. So that's awesome. And another yeah. thing I know that, that you love to do is writing. I know you've written for Creaky Joints mm-hmm. and for your own website, jgchaco.com. And, um, you know, written about your experiences with 
your condition and you know what um how has writing I guess or what what has the role of writing been for for you oh gosh that's a tough question because I was been, I've been writing since I was five yeah and so I always knew that I would be a writer. Mm -hmm. I, I knew that right from the time I was five years old, I was going to be a writer. And I started writing poems when I was five. Um, my great grandmother insisted on thank you notes, as all grandparents did. And I, to prevent myself from being bored writing those thank you notes, I wrote her poems and I wrote her short stories. So and she would say to my parents, yeah, she would say to my parents, she's going to be a writer. And I always wanted to be a writer. Um, and but I always thought that I would be a writer after all the dance and theater was done. So later in my life, right? I was looking at it as the sort of later part of my life when I didn't have the energy to do the dance and theater anymore. Um, and then that would be my artistic. So I would go from the stage to the page, so to speak, right? You really are. And uh, you are an excellent planner. I really have to give you this. Like you had planned out. I love this. This is amazing. Okay. So the stage to the page. Yeah, I knew, I knew, yeah, the stage to the page. I knew right from the get-go, right when I was a kid. Um, so I've, I've lived an artistic life my whole life. And that was all I ever wanted. I, I just wanted to be on stage. I wanted to be an actress. I did stage. I did a little bit of film. Film, yeah, that's all right. But the stage is the the live stage is the exciting, yeah. okay. you know, uh, the exciting challenge, because, you know, with the stage, you don't get to uh, say cut and do that scene again. It's live. It's happening right there. So the challenge is, is you need to know your character and your lines and everybody else's lines good enough to be able to cover mm -hmm. if somebody should do this to you in the middle of the show. <laughs> Right. So you get you get the deer in the headlight look when another actor forgets their lines. It's like <laughs> yeah. and so you have to be on your toes to be able to save them or, you yeah. know, if yeah. or have them save you, whichever happens. But I always knew that I was going to be on the stage and that's that's all I ever wanted to do. And that was my single focus through my whole life. And I always knew that I was going to write um, that, you know, and I wrote even all those years that I was on the stage and even pre-diagnosis, I wrote stories. I started novels. I, you know, I, I wrote just knowing that at some point, this is where I was going to head. And actually being diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis kind of gave me that, that kind of wake up call of what am I waiting for? Why can't I write now? Yeah. Right. Like, why, why, why do I have mm. to wait until I'm practically retired to do it? Why don't I just do it now? And so um, the first story that I ever got published was about my great grandmother and the farm that she lived on. And, you know, she was the one who said she's going to be a writer. So I found it almost like Providence that this was the story that the first story I ever wrote, the first story that I ever submitted got published. And that just told me everything right there. If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up. I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks. And it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step -step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. 
This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through, people who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated, so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thrive room with a capital T in capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. I was like, okay. You know, what am I? So... That's so powerful. That's so, I mean, and one of my uh, selfish reasons for wanting to talk to you is that I want to write a book too. So I'm like, let me figure out her secrets. No, but I I also wanted to like touch base with the kindred spirit because I'm similar. I've always, I love writing. I actually love it so much. I didn't want to do it for a job because I was like, I, I worry that making something you love that much as your job would make it not fun anymore. And like, I have multiple like journalists in my family and people who do amazing work um but anyway long story short relating to you like um I did the same I didn't actually start writing anything publicly until after my diagnosis as well but I I your aha moment or your moment of clarity of like why am I what am I waiting for that was a little more deeper than mine mine was more just like people were like you should have a blog because you like speaking about this stuff (laughs) like I was speaking like, you know, arthritis foundation. They're like, where can I learn more? And I was like, I guess I should have a yeah. blog. People are blogging. People be blogging. That's what they do. These kids do these days. <laughs> so, um, yeah. uh, but that's just, that's just, but sorry, I'm sorry. I'm working on not like immediately responding with my story, but it's kind of partly how I relate, but also <laughs> I, but I want to focus on your story because you are my guest. This is not a solo. Yeah. So I, just let me I tell you, you that if you ever embark on writing a book, it is a huge job. It is a big job. And I've got four of them right now on the go. I have four novels that I'm working on and they're all four different genres. Um, and most writers will be working on more than one project because you know, what we call the middle of the story, uh, I like to call the muddle of the story, 
is the hardest part to get through. It's really, it's really yes. hard. You have your beginning, you have your end, but then you have this mushy middle, this muddle that you have to pull through and, and, and tie these two things, these two bookends together. And it's really, really hard. So I have multiple projects that if I'm working on one and it just isn't happening and the words aren't coming and there's nowhere to go, okay, let's put that one aside for a little while. And let's move on to this one and see if this one, you know, kind of goes. That that's yeah, great. It's... That's music to my ears, actually, because I find it very hard to just focus on one project at a time. I have, but but the other thing I find hard is actually finishing the projects I started. So I'm like very proud of myself for finishing my course, you know, the room to thrive. There's a self-paced course, and then there's a support group. And then I finished, you know or I'm in the process of, of this podcast. So I'm like, okay, I do finish things, but yeah, I have to watch out for that desire, that kind of, I have the kind of ADHD where you want to like start things. Like some people have the kind of ADHD where they have a hard time getting started and they procrastinate. And I'm like, no, I get started. Let's go. Let's start it again. all. And yeah. like, they call it like an, your ADHD hobby bet graveyard where you have you know, like, I'm going to learn to knit. I'm going to learn to crochet. I'm going to learn this. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to yeah. write a short book. I'm going to write a poem. I'm <laughs> like, oh, my desktop is full of projects. But yeah, I, that's great to hear that, that it's normal to have uh, multiple projects. And are your novels, um, do, you, do you mind sharing what they're going to be about? Or should we like stay tuned? Yeah, um, yeah, I can generally give you an idea. So uh, one of the novels that I'm about probably 50 to 60% through is a thriller. Um, more like a, a domestic suspense, I think they call it. And uh, it's about a female serial killer in a small town. Okay. Um, yeah, so, you know, um, another one of the books that I'm working on is based on my great grandmother on my mother's side of the family. So this is a different great grandmother, not the one who said I was going to be a writer. Mm -hmm. um, so the great grandmother on my mother's side of the family, who was a vaudeville actress in England and New York. And so um, and that's probably where I get it from. It's probably you know, um, and I'm the only person in my family since her to be on the stage and to sort of live this creative acting life, right? So I, I feel like she has somehow, you know, embodied me and, and, and get on that stage. But I had the absolute joy of being able to go to England this year and just do some research on the places that she had performed in, in the, in the spaces that she'd been in, it, you know, it's 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 really powerful, sort of, to be walking in in your ancestors' footsteps and knowing that they walked there too. And I also got to go to New York and do some research there, um, for you know, because she she passed away in New York um, in the early early 1900s. Um, so we went there to find where she was buried. We went there to find her her resting place, and and we did, and it was uh, it was just an amazing amazing thing my mother never knew her because she passed before my mother was even a, a blink in anybody's eye but okay. yeah oh that's that's so meaningful and I I love that um I I love all the vaudeville ephemera I think it's called like this like I've gone to the I don't know if this is maybe the same time period but I've, I really love in San Francisco they have the old like penny arcade where they have the old you know how they used to have the um 
they call it like arcade games. You know, I know it's not the same exact thing as Bubble, but sometimes they had those, you know, at the same places and um, just seeing this handmade, you know, hand carved, you know, things from that, those eras. And, and um, it's just, it's beautiful. That's so, that's so great. Yeah. You have that, that string, I, Taylor Swift calls it the invisible string. I don't know if you're a fan of her music, but I love, yeah. I love her. But yeah, that kind of invisible string <laughs> tying your grand great grandmother to you. That's beautiful. Oh, um, I I was given because I know that you are a Swifty yeah. and that you uh, make the little bracelets. So yeah. one of the girls from our cast actually made me a little beaded bracelet with the with uh, the word choreographer on it. And it was beautiful. It's oh. amazing. Oh, yeah. that's so fun. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's a fun. That's a that's a fun hobby making the bracelet. She's a Swifty and too. Then, okay, so, so I got I kinda I kinda got that and went, oh okay. I know where this came from. <laughs> Yes, yes, she's revived the art of friendship bracelet making. Right. Yeah. So, that, yeah, well, that's two of the novels. What about the other two? Are they kind of still morphing? Uh, they're still they're still in progress. One is uh, kind of a literary novel. Um, it's it's character based, and uh, it was an idea I got when we were in Portugal uh, last year, and it was just okay. something that came to me. So of course I wrote it down and and started, you know writing through it and the the other one i kind of got idea in the summer and it's i guess you would call it a fantasy romance um yeah and i'm not i'm not one to really write romance most of my writing other than my arthritis writing which i try to keep as upbeat and positive as possible and sort of show you you know a better you know a way to to find joy in your life um my my fiction yeah. stuff generally tends to be darker i mean stephen king was a huge influence to me and i love his writing and i love you know so my my fiction stuff doesn't usually tend to be light and fluffy <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But this, but this one, I think, is a little more on the lighter side. So, <laughs> and sometimes, you know, I, I was talking with um, another person who has she has psoriatic arthritis, Nidika Chopra. She has a podcast, and she has a similar kind of supportive community that I've had. We both are, you know, we have similar dreams and goals for helping support people with inflammatory arthritis. And we were, we were joking because we're like, well, we have podcasts that are like about arthritis, but in our free time, our spare time, we will, I don't listen to arthritis podcasts. I listen to podcasts about things totally different. You know, I listen to podcasts yeah. about music and pop culture and random debates like John, John Hodgman about like, is a hot dog a sandwich? Just like fun, funny stuff, you know? So um, sometimes it's like, yeah, your whole life, even though ironically I called, you know, my podcast and my organization is called Arthritis Life. My whole life is not about arthritis. It's kind of about living a beautiful, full life with arthritis. Um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you can't get rid of it. It's there. It's part of you. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't have to take center stage. Oh, that's the way I see it. Perfect <laughs> metaphor from a choreographer. It's on stage left. <laughs> <laughs> that's right it's in the wings actually yeah. i try to keep it in the wings <laughs> it's, the mag 
it's the thing um in the trap door or what do they call it the magic the door that something just sometimes randomly pops out of and then you push it back down under the trap door no but um yeah or in the orchestra orchestra pits yes. right in the yeah. orchestra pits oh man don't ever go down the side note don't ever go down the youtube rabbit hole of like people accident actors accidentally falling into the stage pit because i got onto that at one point and i was like get me off of here i can't handle this this is too scary um but you it happens. <laughs> um, yeah, I, on the same note you were talking about with, you know, having your arthritis, you know, be part of your life, but not the center stage before we recorded, you know, I asked you some of the, what did you, what are you most passionate about, you know, sharing about from your story. And one of the things you, I, I loved how you said this, you said, you want to share how you balance honoring the life I had before instead of, so honoring the life I had before instead of grieving it. So earlier I used the word grief and I apologize because I think I had it in my head, but I, yeah, you were saying, how do you, you want to share how you've gotten to that place? And we, you know, what, what would you add to what you already said? <laughs> well, so I, I have read a lot of stories of people with arthritis who talk about um, having, grieving their, la their past life. Yes. I, I don't know if they actually mean to grieve it, but I think what they mean is they, they let go of it. Um, I personally, and you know, we all have our ways of coping, right? You, you have to acknowledge that you are in a new space in your life, but I don't think me, I don't grieve my past life. I honor it and I celebrate it because I look at it and go, look what I got to do before I got to this moment. And it's not gone. It's never gone. No one can take it away from you. Nothing can take it away from you because it's already been done and it's part of you. And when you move forward, you're taking it with you. You're taking that with you, right? It's etched into your body. It's etched into your memory. It's etched into your bones. Um, so for me, it's, I sit there and I kind of go, yeah, you know, this is what I had done in the past. And a part of that is still with me, even as I move forward. Now, am I going to be able to go forward on the exact same path? Probably not, but that doesn't mean there's no path. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you have that, when you have your past with you and all the accomplishments that you had, I think it's a springboard for, for moving forward because it's like little branches coming off the main tree, right? So you, it's the tree of what you have built, um, but there's always a way to branch out into a different direction mm -hmm. from that, from that base. So that's what I mean when I say I don't grieve it because it's never gone. It's always here. It's always with you. Um, you know, and I realize that that people have to, they have to cope with their change in life. Mm -hmm. And we all should sit down and acknowledge that and they have to do it in their own way. Yeah. And so this is the way I choose to do it. Right. I choose to sit there and go, I did that. And it's still with me. It's still part of me. It's not gone. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing to grieve because it's still here. It's just transformed in a different way it's just different yeah. right so that's that's what i mean when i say that i i don't grieve my past life i pre-diagnosis i'm still alive clearly <laughs> 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 unless we're all in a simulation yes um 
That, no, that's, I've never <laughs> thought of it that way. I, I, I kind of found myself taking a deep breath as you were talking about it's still with you. Like for me, the first thing that came up was soccer, you know, not being an athlete, being an athlete was a huge part of my identity. Now people associate me with being a dancer because I'm, I, that was my switch. I switched from soccer to swing dancing when I, you know, got, after I got my diagnosis and, um, and that's how I met my husband. It's been a huge part of my life, but yeah, it's like, you're so right. It's not like I'm a former soccer player. Well, I, it's still, my past is with me and it does get, it does um, come up and that competitive spirit and that pushing through, you know, like, Hey, we got to, you know, we're going to get through this, um, that team spirit part of me. It's still, I love that. It's still part of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the grief can come for, from my experience in, and it might just, it might be semantics, but is often that I want, I want to still be able to do X, Y, Z that was easier for me yeah. or possible for me prior to my diagnosis. And I cannot do that right now. And that I want to keep doing it to the future. So I'm glad I could do it in the past, but I can't do it now or in the future. And that's bumming me out, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I look but, at it too, as even if we weren't diagnosed, like even if we didn't have arthritis at some point, you'd have to stop playing soccer. Anyway, because mm -hmm. you would just, it would be an aging thing, right? And at, yeah. at you know, yeah. figure skaters have to stop skating at a certain age. Dancers have to stop mm -hmm. dancing at a certain age. Hockey players have to retire at a certain age. So it just came yeah. earlier for us because of the disease, but the concept is still the same. Because when all these people, all these athletes retire from what they were doing, they have to go on to something else. And again, they take that spirit, as you say, of everything they did with them going forward onto a new path, you know, growing a new branch off that tree, right? Yeah. That's so beautiful. I really love that. And I, it's such a point well taken that, um, that we all have, we're going to have limitations. We're limited by being human, you know, being human, needing to sleep. It's so, this is, this is related, but my, or it's kind of a side note, but related my son, and at one point he was kind of going through a phase he's nine now but where he was like I, I don't I, I'm so mad that I have to sleep because I have so many things I want to do <laughs> he wants to read more he wants to talk to his friends he wants to play with his Legos he wants all these things and he's like oh I'm so frustrated that I have to sleep and I was like you know we all have to go through that phase of like yeah I wish I didn't need to sleep I could get so much more done but like and even if we didn't sleep there are still only 24 hours in the day so I think that's just a super healthy mindset to remind yourself it's not just arthritis that limits you from from doing every yeah. single possible thing you could ever want to do in your life it's yeah it's being a human it's there's lots of factors right Right. It's just we ended up with the chronic illness factor. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it just it just happened a little earlier with us, but we still can find we can still take what we had and bring it with us forward. Right. Yeah. yeah and I think so. a lot of people kind of define their expectations for the future um, as everyone ex kind of unless they've already had a chronic illness most people just assume i'm going to be healthy until i'm quote unquote old which no one really defines what that actually means you know does that mean 65 is a definition of you know retirement age in the us is it 85 you know i took i took swing dancing lessons from 90 year old frankie manning who was one of the founders of nice. you know lindy hop in harlem in the 30s and 40s 
And, you know, so who knows, but anyway, point being, you know, the more we can extract ourselves, I think, from that expectation that the only good life is a healthy, able-bodied life is uh, right. for me important. Um, right. I'm just curious, have you, this is, I didn't expect, I didn't uh, tell you this question ahead of time. So feel free to like not answer it, but you seem very mentally healthy. <laughs> I'm laughing. Myself. I'm like, I don't know if that's, did you ever go to therapy? How are you like, no, how can we all be like you? What is, what, how are you? Not at all. Not at all. Um, I I don't really I don't know how to answer that I'd like to be able to answer that but no I never I never went to therapy but I just uh I don't know I think uh you know if okay if we're, if we're gonna get into the the deep thing here um yeah. acting itself is therapy you think what acting oh, itself I is therapy okay. acting is therapy because uh, you you go through so many transformations and so many characters. Mm -hmm. There's comedies, there's tragedies, there's, you know, I, I've played a couple of roles where I had to cry on cue on stage, mm -hmm. right in front of a live audience, right? So I mean, it is, yeah, acting itself is therapy. So I guess I've, I've gone through, you know, the whole you know, acting thing, but, um, professional therapy probably, no, I've never had that. <laughs> so. No, and thank you. No, I, I think that's, I, first of all, I'm, thank you for allowing me to put you on the spot like that. I just, I'm, I'm trying to, I, I'm pretty in touch with at least some of the people in the audience of this podcast. I, not everyone like sends me messages or anything, but I think, um, a lot of times I try to anticipate, like if someone's listening to this podcast, what are they, what do they want? What are they wishing that I asked the person? <laughs> and like one time I asked someone like, um, you know, like, like yeah are you religious or like how are you like so mentally stable is it genetics is it yeah maybe it is could be family yeah. upbringing you know there's always so many factors you know having a strong like do you have a strong support system do you think I I think I do yeah I, I think I do um I've also I've also I'm also one I'm very extremely independent and I always have been mm, okay um okay. And I think so maybe so maybe this maybe this is it. I, I moved around a lot when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. And I moved around a lot when I was a teenager. And I moved around a lot when I was an adult. And I think what that has done is just made me adapt to every new change and every new situation. It forced me to. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I think I sat down and counted how many times I had moved in my life. And I think it came to something like 25 to 26 times that I have moved, you know, from wow. one place to another. And and I'm not talking different countries. I mean, just within this own province, I have moved into a whole bunch of like 26 wow. times. And it's just yeah. things that you yeah. can't control. Right. So your parents sell their house and they want to move somewhere else, right? So your child, you have to go with them, can't control that. Mm -hmm. So you're put into new schools all the time and you have to sort of find a way to, to cope with that, right? Um, yeah. You know, as an adult, you, you're renting a place with your partner, they're going to sell that place. So you have to find somewhere else to rent or you break up with your partner and you have to go and find somewhere else to yeah. live. Like, So I think maybe that may have had a very big role in shaping who yeah. I am and how and how I cope with you know things and then honestly uh, living as an artist in the theater as a writer 
it's not the most stable profession on the planet ever. And really, it, it, it is a lot of uncertainty and, and you know, moving, yeah. you know, moving forward. So I think on that, I think all of that in the background has, you know, possibly <laughs> created where I am mentally and how I, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and to, to be a little more coherent, I like one of my purposes in this podcast is helping people learn how to thrive with our, with inflammatory arthritis or autoimmune arthritis, like we both have. And, and so there's so many different ways to get there and there's different personalities, different, some are introverts, some are extroverts, some are interested in sports, some are interested in acting. So I think it's just really illustrative, hopefully for the people listening to see like, okay, this is how Julia did it, did it, you know, or does it. And not to say that you've like reached this pinnacle of like, I don't want to put you on a, I don't want to like put pressure on you, put you on a pedestal, like her life's perfect. And if you just do what she did, you're going to be perfect. No, no one's like, no, yeah. no, no life. No life is perfect. Not even mine. <laughs> everybody has everybody has their challenges right yeah yeah exactly and that but that I I I think you really I think your I think your theory on yourself is is correct (laughs) um that that I think that moving around as I'm I'm laughing because it's like I I don't know you that well so I'm like of course whatever you say is way more correct than anything I can observe but um (laughs) you know I have I'm somebody who I I would love to still go back and live in my childhood home with my parents and my husband and my child. Like that's how attached I am to like things staying the same. (laughs) So, and my, my room, my childhood home is 15 minutes away from where I live and it's where I'm going to be going on Christmas, you know? So not that for me is, there is learning that you've like moved to 20, you know, 25 times as a child makes complete sense that you would develop this adaptability, flexibility, resiliency, and sense of who you are. You are Mm -hmm. the constant, you know, versus being defined by your situation and your environment, you know? So Mm -hmm. that's really, that's really incredible to me. And yeah, I I hope that everyone listening is, um, or I hope it's inspiring to the people um, listening. I, I think it will be. So this has just been, I just love talking to you, but um, I do want to respect your time and the time of people listening. Um, uh, but you, so we have a set of uh, rapid fire questions um, and okay. you, it doesn't mean that you have to do like a one word answer. It could be, you know, it could be, it's just rapid fire. I'll try to keep it brief. <laughs> I mean, do as I say, not as I do clearly. So um, yeah, best words of wisdom for people newly diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. Oh, uh, I think we already talked about this patience. A hundred percent. You, you need to develop patience. You need to be patient. It's going to take time to understand your disease, to understand how it works in your body, to find the right treatment, to find the right way. Yeah. It's, it's patience a hundred percent and be kind to yourself. Don't, don't, you know, beat yourself up for not being able to do something you think you should do or yeah, it's, you know, be kind and patience and be kind to yourself. Put yourself first, really. I love that. I really, really love that. And that, yeah, yeah. Whew, I'm still learning those two things. <laughs> um, did, do you have, you may not, that's okay. Do you have a favorite arthritis gadget or tool in your toolbox that you use kind of on? I do. I have two of them. Um, so my, uh, I have a jar opener, a big rubber jar opener that I absolutely love because, yes. you know, it, 
just I just love it to pieces. And um, uh, my husband a couple of years ago got me a paraffin bath. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's for my dip my hands into this beautiful hot wax. And it's just lovely. <laughs> oh, man, I have one of those and it smells like lavender and it's amazing. Love them. Yeah. Um, do you have, this might be hard. This is a very open-ended, but do you have a favorite book or movie or show that you've been watching recently? This is me loving pop culture. So <laughs> pop media. Oh my God. Um, well, books, I, I cannot, I cannot narrow down a favorite book at all. I have so many favorite books, so many favorite authors. Um, the one that I'm reading right now, I absolutely love. Okay. And it's called, we all love Jack. Okay. And it's about an 800 comp 800 page comprehensive book about the history of Jack the Ripper. <laughs> And I am enthralled with it. I, it's just the writing is fantastic. It's gone just right into the history of that whole time of the 1800s in Whitechapel, London, um, or England. Um, it's just, yeah, it's 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 fascinating. Um, there's so many, so many, but I love I love so many books. Um, and you know, I don't watch a lot of TV. I read a lot, you know. Um, and but I mean recently I, I had this this isn't very recent this is probably maybe about four years old now mm -hmm. um there was a show that i absolutely loved called killing eve yeah and uh it had sandra O oh in it and um oh, this wonderful this beautiful blonde english lady who just played the perfect villain and i just loved that show oh, that's on my <laughs> list I, I love shows oh i love shows where you just love the villain you know, yeah. like it's, it's just, yeah, it, it was, it's a fun show. That's it's fun. Amazing. So you should watch it. <laughs> That's amazing. I was just listening on one of my podcasts. They were talking about how like Ursula is from Little Mermaid is just like the perfect villain. Now we all, I was like, that's such a good point. Yeah. What is so fascinating about villains? Um, do you have on a different note, do you have a favorite like mantra or inspirational saying that you say to yourself when things are tough? Tomorrow is a new day with no mistakes in it. And that is actually uh, from Anne of Green Gables. That, yeah. And she's one of my- My favorites too. She's one of my literary, he one of my literary heroes. I, I read that book to pieces when I was a kid. In fact, I thought I was Anne from Anne of Green Gables when I was a kid. Okay, so. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. The two people that I thought I was were Pippi Longstocking. And, and, and both my siblings have red hair. So I was like jealous of the red hair. And so I was like, but I really deep down have, I, I identify as being a redhead. <laughs> I am, yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. That, yeah, sorry. You just hit on my favorite book. Yeah. I, I always say Anna Green Gables and Little Women were the books I read over and over and over. I just love them. Um. Is there anything specific that's been bringing you joy lately? Uh, well, writing, my writing life, um, because I write every day. Um, obviously, having just done the choreography for that show brought me great joy. And actually, in January, I'll be back in rehearsals uh, for another theater show where I will be actually acting on the stage um so that'll be the first time in about four years because it was pre-covid 2019 was my last show on stage um so this is going to be my you know first show on stage since since that time 
So, well, yeah, I only live a couple hours south of you, so I might have to come visit, <laughs> make a can Canadian visit, dust off the old. There passport. you go. <laughs> <laughs> there are there are mat there are matinees so you'd be able to come out for the afternoon and then be able to go back home <laughs> yeah no that'd be great actually good point um and then what does it mean to you to live a good life and thrive with rheumatic disease what does it mean to me i know that's kind of an open-ended one <laughs> mm. um well i think it, i think it's important i think you know, you either you either find a way to thrive, or you just you're just not you just don't have any life at all, right? Like, um, yeah, I think I don't know. That's a tough question. Though. That 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 feels like a question that could take a long time to answer. Yeah, um, it's kind of funny yeah. that I put that down. And I feel like you've actually shown you know that whole writer maxim or uh, axiom of writing where it's like show don't tell. I feel like you showed through all of your answers what it means to thrive, you know, being in, uh, being resilient, adaptive, you know, looking at what's possible in your life rather than only thinking about what you can't do. Think, what is possible? How can I get there? Problem solving, you know, and continue yeah. to do things you love. Yeah. Seems like that's my little summary. <laughs> that works yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah i know i don't anyway the con i don't really understand the concept of rapid fire clearly because they're more like a set of questions i want to like and some of the podcasts i listen to they do like a kind of these are the questions we always ask at the end kind of thing um but anyway um do you have anything else you want to share with the listeners before we wrap it up the listeners are the watchers on youtube oh gosh um I don't know. I, I think I would just say, you know, ooh, I just take some time to understand yourself. Take some time to know yourself um, and don't be afraid to say no to people. Honor what you're feeling on any given day. And uh, yeah, just, you know, really... Yeah, I'm not articulating it very well, but just really just just honor yourself, right? I think that's the best thing to say is just honor yourself and and don't feel um, don't feel sad if you can't do something that you want to do because it doesn't mean you can't ever do it. Mm. It just means maybe right now you can't, but maybe sometime down the line you will. Um, so give yourself the time. And, and 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 be patient yeah i love it, it yeah what i'm hearing through this is like living in the moment versus focusing on or you know being present honoring the present yeah. moment exactly where you are which that's taken me a long time to do as well and i, I mean i've followed all your points i was writing them down because i didn't want to forget even though this is being recorded you know know yourself <laughs> don't be afraid to say no i need to hear that every single day because again i have that people pleasing gene where I just and also it's like it's weird it's a it's, weird form of like don't flatter yourself too much like the world's going to keep spinning if I don't say yes to a project you know what I mean like but yeah. sounds like it's powerful to say no yeah I think it's powerful to say no it's it's a powerful thing to go no not this time yeah and 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 to say it and know that it's the right decision for you yeah right don't make it don't make it the right decision for somebody else 
make it the right decision for you. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I think it starts with defining your self-worth as intrinsic. You are worthy because sometimes I think my, me saying yes to mm-hmm. things is because I think, well, they won't love me. I won't be worthy if I don't say yes, I'm going to let them down and then they won't like me anymore. And they need to like me because everyone has to like me because that's the rules. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is the thick skin you get from acting because you get rejected 20 years of your life. I have heard that. I've heard but, that. Uh, yeah. I've, I'm at that, you know, I'm, I, you know, there are some times where I just go, I don't care what you think. (laughs) That's so healthy. That is part of your mental health. Because yeah. With the power vested in me, I'm defining you you as mentally healthy. (laughs) I have actually no, (laughs) (laughs) I am not a diagnose. Occupational therapists do not diagnose just by the way, uh, for anyone listening. No, I I just, I, I, I'm no being tongue in cheek. But yeah, that's a really good, you have had a lot of practice with rejection as an actress. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in any, in any artistic, like in any artistic thing, right. You you know, writing, acting, you know, any, there's, there's lots of rejection out there and it's understanding that it's not you and it's not personal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Social media, being on social media has given me the best having being on social media in my mid to late thirties through now, early forties has been, that's been like two kind of good forces combining to really reinforce to me that you can't please everyone. You shouldn't try to please everyone. And yeah, the world will keep spinning if everyone doesn't give you positive feedback 24 <laughs> seven. Wait until, wait until you get into your fifties and you'll really understand that. <laughs> oh, I'm real excited. No, I'm like thrilled to be, yeah. Getting hopefully aging like a fine wine. Hopefully. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. And so, um, I forgot to say earlier that your name is Julia, but you go by JG, uh, Chaco. Professor. Uh, yeah, professionally. So in my writing, I go by JG Chaco. Okay. Yeah. So that's your website, jgchayko.com, right? Correct. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So, well, thank you so, so much for taking the time for, especially for going on some of my off-road adventures on some of my questions where I'm like, wait, how are you like this? (laughs) Help me be like you. No. (laughs) And I just really (laughs) appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. This is wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's, you know, it's finally so, it's been so lovely to actually chat with you (laughs) after having, you you know, followed you over the years and (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Like on Twitter, like I agree with her. Yes. I like this article you wrote, you know, and yeah, it's wonderful (laughs) to interact in, in real time. And, um, you know, so hopefully everyone will check out your, your website and, um, make sure if you're listening right now that, um, you can, you know, listen, you, if you're listening, you can watch the interview of this on YouTube. I'm trying to remind people of that on my, the arthritis life YouTube channel, or you can go to the website if you want to get like a full transcript. Um, I find that I'm not actually an auditory, I'm not a strong auditory learner. I learn a lot better through reading than listening. So if you want to read mm-hmm. the transcript, you're like, Oh, what did she say about this? I want to kind of have a chance to read it. You can go to the arthritis life website, myarthritislife.net. So Thank you again, Julia. We'll talk to you later. See you on the stage. Thank you so much. Yes. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. 
This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.